Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Agent Orange catastrophe did not end with the Vietnam War. Today, the world over a a primary chemical of the toxic defoliant controls weeds in farming, forestry, parks, and even our children's playground. It wreaks havoc on the human genome, causing deformed births and deadly cancers. After decades of struggles and tragic personal losses, two heroic women are leading a worldwide movement to end this plague and hold the manufacturers accountable. In France, Trantonia is suing the American chemical industry for poisoning her Vietnam in America. Carol Van Strom exposes the continuing use of the toxic herbicide in the Pacific Northwest. The film is called The People versus Agent Orange, and we're joined today by the co-directors of the film, and that would be Alan Adelson as well as Kate Taverna. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. So, yeah, you. thank you so much for your work here. Uh, this is a this is something that has sort of slipped, you know, into the nether regions of our of our history and, and the history of the world in the sense that this part of the film that talks about the war in Vietnam and Agent Orange and the defoliation of of that 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 aspect of our history has gone sort of dormant in people's minds. Uh, but the ongoing use of this defoliant, this this uh, uh, herbicide, continues. So I'm I'm so glad that you first of all you were you did this documentary, and I'm so glad that you were able to kind of tell the arc of the story of Agent Orange in this. Alan Adelson, what was the inspiration for the making of the People versus Agent Orange? Just to explain the dynamics of that little shift you just experienced, Kate's a film editor. I'm a producer, director. Kate um, has also produced and directed. But before I can enlist her efforts on the editing side, I have to be able to show a film that seems viable. And actually, that took about three years of research on my part before I could get her to uh, join the posse. I was at a party in New York City when a young woman uh, came to me with her cell phone and said, so you make documentaries. I've just come back from volunteering at an orphanage in Vietnam where the saddest human beings you will ever lay eyes on are suffering from deformities caused by exposure to Agent Orange by their parents uh, or grandparents. And somebody has to do something about this. And I resisted because this is a world with pressing contemporary problems. And she was hearkening back 50 years. And I expressed that resistance. It takes me a long time to make a film four, six, even 10 years in this case, you don't sign on to an effort like that very uh, readily. But she countered my resistance and skepticism by putting the images of these sad children in my face. Kids with heads blown up from water on their brains looking like uh, what uh, movie cartoonists might 
uh, depict Martians as kids with withered limbs, fused digits, and the investigative journalist in me uh, was saying, if this is the result of conscious human avarice, if corporate executives decided that they would create and market chemicals that would cause this and did so knowingly, then humankind has a lesson to learn from this, however uh, long ago it may have begun. After that. You can't make a film that's a polemic. You need a character that the audience can identify with and follow and be engaged by. So that was the next step. Was that was that Tran who Tran no, who approached you at the uh, at this party? Was that who it was? No, 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 oh no, no. That, Nobody uh, else. That in 2014, we found out that Trontonia had submitted the lawsuit in the French court, and nope. that's when I got involved. I said, "Okay, now you got a character," and we had to enlist her. Get her. You know, there were a couple of years ago. There was a short documentary film uh, that was shortlisted. I think it made it to the actual nomination. It was about the the orphans of of Vietnam, and there were kids who had been affected by Agent Orange. Is, is am I right about that? Do you yeah, did you? Yeah, there was a film called the one called Chow. Is that what it was called? Mano Chow. There are two. One is an artist who uh, was in the film about him called Chow Between the Lines shows him painting with his feet. Um, yes, amazingly that's the, skillfully. That's the one. Uh, and that that's was. That was nominated um, for a short Oscar. Yeah, we saw it at the UN. Tron took the entire American chemical industry to court in France. Never have they been held accountable by court actions anywhere else. There was a settlement in what was then the largest lawsuit, class action lawsuit in history a settlement between the chemical companies and the U.S. Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. um, $180 million settlement. There were so many U.S. veterans that were affected by their exposure to Agent Orange that they ended up at best with only a couple of thousand bucks apiece, which is hardly uh, enough to manage care against soft tissue cancers etc and their own children are being born uh, deformed as well what was going on in vietnam is continuing to go on in the united states we poisoned our own troops as well well let's yeah and that is that the arc of this film is to tell the story of vietnam and it's one thing i want to inject into the sort of the history of agent orange uh, two things, actually. One is that the reason it was used in Vietnam, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it because Vietnam is essentially most of it a jungle, and the and the foliage from the trees and the plants were able to camouflage the movement of Vietnamese North and South troops moving back and forth, that the United States, I guess, decided that we need to get rid of the trees so we can see them and kill them, right? Isn't that basically it? Yes, that was it. And also food denial. They wanted and to kill the food that would support the guerrillas coming in from the north. I doubt that there's a, um, that after they killed off major mangrove forests and destroyed them forever, 
uh, bamboo and grasses started coming up and continued to grow even through the sprayings and they could still hide underneath the the bamboo. So it was not a successful venture, oh. is it? Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. Wouldn't the wouldn't the, isn't that a war crime to destroy f- people's food supplies? Isn't that isn't that considered a war crime? Am I it, am I wrong? I mean, no, uh, you're very astute about that, Mike. The um, Geneva Accords specify that if you destroy their food supply by poisoning the crops, you have to provide alternative nutrition. You can't starve them to death. And this was part of an insidious American strategy to move uh, the Vietnamese populations into what they called strategic hamlets. They were actually concentration camps so that um, the population would be isolated from this indigenous insurgent movement, the Viet Cong couldn't give uh, the Viet Cong rice they were growing and separated the insurgent aspects of the population from the agrarian farmers who remained uh, growing rice. Well, I want to tie this back to the United States, but one last comment from me about the uh, about Agent Orange. I remember I'm old enough to remember watching Walter Cronkite Evening News on CBS, and I do remember there was discussions about Agent Orange in the late part of the '60s about what was happening and using this, and the effects it was having. And I remember there was an American soldier to prove to us that it was okay. Agent Orange was okay. He was a lieutenant or a sergeant who drank it on camera. I remember it's it's, st- it's stuck in my mind because at the time I remember thinking, I was hearing all these stories and just sort of he drank it on camera and said, "See, I'm okay," and that was a you know some version of that's I guess that's enough for some people it would have been enough for them to believe it was of no harm, no real harm, and it just the extent to which the United States was was willing to go to lie about what was the effects of this is is truly devastating. So I'm sorry to bring that in, but I just wanted, I mean, I just remember this. It's stuck in no, my mind. Actually, for your audience, there's a scene up on YouTube um, very much akin to that. It's hilarious. A uh, public relations guy for one of the chemical companies is being interviewed and he says it's perfectly safe. And if, if, right? <laughs> if, um, if he had it handy, he would drink the herbicide just to prove it. And the interviewee pulls out a pop bottle or whatever and says, oh, that's interesting. I brought some. Here it is. Go ahead and have, have yourself a drink. And the guy backs off and he starts squirming, says, no, no, I was just speaking rhetorically. And the and guy he leaves the interview. He ends up bolting <laughs> off camera. Well, I, I wonder if he saying that wasn't inspired by the thing that I saw on. on I the would not be at all surprised. Yeah. Well, let's move this story because it is an important story. It is something that I think people just do not know about. Let me remind our listeners that we're speaking with the co-directors of the film, The People versus Agent Orange, and that would be Alan Adelson and Kate Taverna. Okay, so let's move this story forward. Let's move it to the United States. And how long has 
what we know as Agent Orange or some variation of that been used in America? When the United States military realized and acknowledged that people were getting sick from the Agent Orange, they discontinued use of the herbicides in Vietnam. And that goes back to 1971. Almost immediately, a forestry expert, a professor of forestry in Oregon, where of course they harvest enormous loads of Douglas fir for the timber industry. This man postulated that it would help the conifers grow if they used herbicides that would beat back competing vegetation. And Agent Orange kills broadleaf plants but does not affect the pine trees or conifers. And he started really unauthorized testing of the Agent Orange and other herbicides as well in coastal Oregon. And that has revolutionized and altered the timber industry in Oregon enormously. And even after Agent Orange was taken off the market, derivative chemicals, you could say the descendants of Agent Orange, many of them containing half of Agent Orange continued to be used there. And it washes down from the clear-cut mountainsides into the creeks, into the reservoirs, and into the people who drink the water supply. And it makes them sick and it causes deformities. Okay, let's talk about Carol, Carol Van Strom. Talk about her in terms of how she became part of the story and what her work was going way back now. Okay, so we found an Intercept article about about Carol in 2017 that was posted online and it was talking about how she was putting all of her 40 year collection of documents that were going bad in one of her sheds. They finally cleaned them off and they were putting them up online for people to be able to use in their own struggles to get community rights in their communities against being sprayed aerially. So we so we decided we contacted her and asked her if she'd be willing to work with us on the documentary, be part of it. And she was good with that. She well, she was a brave soul. She apparently had been on to this for for decades and had been pursuing this and not what not without some personal risk. She apparently and this is where this is a lot of money in herbicides. There's a lot of money in this stuff. I mean if you go back, if you had a contract with the US military for a decade or so, my God, that's all in and of itself, there that's where the gold is. And then you and then you have to essentially move this industry into the United States and make a case for it. Again, another gold mine if you can get companies like Monsanto and Bayer and Dow. This was originally a Dow chemical uh, defoliant, right? Am I correct about that? Yes, you are. But virtually every chemical company in the United States contracted with the U.S. military. The thirst for these chemicals was so great that the U.S. military offered to buy it from anyone who could produce it. And that had something to do with the contamination. 
the faster they could make it, the more money they would earn by selling it on to the military. But by making it at very high temperatures, they created dioxin, which uh, is this terribly destructive chemical thought to be the deadliest chemical mankind has ever created outside of the nuclear chemicals such as plutonium. And the dioxin resulted from the high temperatures as they cooked the brew. Dow recognized it first and started making corrective measures and in an extraordinary initiative reached out to all of their competitors to inform them that the Dow's toxicologists had observed this high level of contamination. It was causing a disease in their factories, and they were worried that if the government got wind of that, they would kill the cash cow altogether. So Dow was saying, we'd better clean up our acts before the government does it for us. Well, this is amazing. This is an amazing amount of information for our listeners about this chemical and and the destruction that it has wrought and all of the different involvements by the different governments and are certainly by our government. But these two women, these two very brave dedicated women are really the heart and soul, as Kate, you said at the beginning of our interview, you know, finding that connection, finding someone who can guide us in a, in a manner of speaking through this story and their bravery and their determination is remarkable. And that's what comes through in this film. How is Tron doing? How is, and how is Carol doing now? And in terms of their own, their own journey, but also in terms of bringing some measure of justice to bear on, on this story. Um, well, Tron is right now, that on January 25th, was the final hearing, procedural hearing in the court in every France. That what was so incredible and made her so happy was that there was a tremendous media coverage at the uh, courthouse and also at the Trocadero where they were having subsequent demonstrations. Tremendous global coverage of this. It was in Vietnamese, Italian, it was an Esquire. It was, they were in many different languages. There was coverage of this event. It got a lot of action for her. And that's what she really wanted. For her, the goal is not just to win the lawsuit, but to make as many people as possible know what's going on and that this has happened and it continues to happen. So she was yeah. very happy with that. But yeah. now the, the trial, the, the actual judgment is not scheduled until May 10th. So we're all waiting to see where this is going to go, how is it going to, and already gotten what she wants is hopeful. To bring awareness to this situation. To bring awareness, but both she and Carol suffer from health, health you know, illness. And so they're both about the same age, yeah. which is very interesting. And um, both sides of the Vietnam War also, but um, Tron is affected by the illnesses that she's contracted through the Agent Orange exposure. And Carol also has heart issues that she's contending with now. So, and, and you know that what the, I mean, there's a, a number of connecting threads. The fact that they're activists, they're citizen activists. They're people, just one person who said, woke up one morning and said, this is enough. I'm not going to allow this to continue to happen. It's affecting me. It's affecting my children. It will affect the world. 
both of them. Tron's story goes back to the Vietnam War and her mom and her mom's uh, patriotism, if you will, to her her home country of Vietnam and all the things that happened to her. It's an amazing story. And I didn't realize this, the Chinese dominance of Vietnam for a thousand years, the French for a hundred years, I had some idea. The continuing colonialization of that part of the world, Americans have no idea. And when they look back on the Vietnam War, it seems like a million years ago, an anomaly, who knows, who cares? But these are things that are of consequence to us in, in today. They moving forward, these these ripples of, of history continue to resonate to us. And I think that's why, in addition to so many other reasons to watch the people versus Agent Orange, it, it's also a it's a history lesson for us. And it's a reminder. And these things continue to happen over and over and over again. That's a fair summary of <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> From a filmmaker standpoint, we are astonished after all these years sort of working alone in a closet, finally, <laughs> um, to have the film rolling out and to find that theaters all over the country are booking it for their virtual platforms, that this global media circus resulted from our little old lady, Madame Tron <laughs> and her lawsuit. And it was, you know, creating this media circus in Paris. And Good. that's probably nothing compared to what's going to result uh, on, May on May 10th, 10th when the actual decision comes down. That's the thing about, about this, uh, this kind of story. You know, that Margaret Mead's saying, and I'm going to butcher it about, you know, the only way that history changes by by a small group of people getting together and doing something. It's the only way it ever has changed, right? This is you and, and Tren and Carol are part of a telling of a story. They're, they're the they're the source of your story, but also they they illuminate, they 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 resonate in this story. And this is another thing about the world we live in today with the world of COVID is that in some ways it's provided an opportunity for smaller films to be seen and heard because in some ways the hundred million dollar ad campaign for the latest tentpole movie why would you spend that money now there it'd be crazy they're not in theaters you're not going to get that many people so in some ways it's flattened the landscape for films in general because when you look down a list of films you're not being influenced by a hundred million dollar ad campaign you're just looking at what the content of that particular film is and what it's about and I think in some ways that's really helped out. You're absolutely right. And it's very difficult to find a bright side to COVID. This is the most enormous tragedy our country has experienced way over the deaths that were caused, for instance, by the war in Vietnam. But from uh, the standpoint of documentary filmmakers, do-gooder filmmakers, instead of a theater that has one or two or three screens, now they can put 10 titles up on um, their virtual sites and the opportunities to gain access to audience are increased many, many fold. Yeah. yeah. And we're delighted with that. Yeah, you should be. You should be. I'm of the mind that most wars, are, you know, never really end. They just sort of, we just sort of forget about them in some ways. I think for me, the wars that continue, we continue to fight. We continue to fight World War One, I, I think, to this day. In this country, we continue to fight the Civil War. I think we're still fighting the Civil War right now. 
And I also think Vietnam in many, many ways. It's a generational thing. It's a it's a geopolitical thing. It was a catastrophe in terms of the, you know, the American experience, which should have taught us not to do the war in Iraq, but it didn't. We just continue to make the same mistakes over and over, my opinion. I'm I'm opinionating here right now, but but I just think that it's important for people to understand. There's so many aspects of the war in Vietnam, and this is an important one. The human tragedy, the ongoing effect it's had on the country of Vietnam, even many decades later. We have a wonderful partner in our distribution now. Her name is Susan Hammond, and she's the founder of an organization called the War Legacies Project. And it's just what you're saying. What is the legacy of war? What does it will on world society after it has passed we continue to pay a very heavy price for we that do. we do think is the united states in trying to make reparations to the vietnamese in order to maintain a good collegial relationship or geopolitical relationship with them has cleaned or trying to clean two of their air bases that were highly contaminated by dioxin and agent orange during the war one in bien hoa and the other one in Da Nang. And Da Nang is facing the South China Sea, which is a very interesting geopolitical position right now to watch China. <laughs> so yeah. there is a continuing yeah. saga. Those are names I remember, Da Nang especially. That was the one, I think, the largest air base in Vietnam. And, yeah. you know, just, just for one last sort of historical fact, and it's it's hard to wrap your mind around now when you think about the war in Vietnam. At one time, there were a half a million American soldiers deployed in a country that I don't think is much bigger than, like, I remember New Mexico or something like that. A yeah. half a million U.S. soldiers in that it country. Was the- an enormous uh, endeavor, uh, and the Vietnamese exult in remembering that their barefoot soldiers uh, could overcome all of the industrial and mechanical force of the most powerful nation on earth. And although they are very, very friendly and understanding to Americans when they go to visit now, many former GIs go back to visit and and to help too. Uh, The Vietnamese treat them very, very well, but they uh, experience a deep satisfaction in their victory. And let's not forget the war in Laos, which went on for years and years with no, literally no public awareness, dropped more ordinance on that country than all of World War II. I remember some statistic like that, some crazy, they're still coming across un, unexploded bombs in Laos. There, this, yeah, this, our legacy in that part of the world is is troubling to say the least. And uh, But I want to thank you both, truly thank you both, because this is something, as you can tell, I'm a little passionate about in terms of just making people aware of these kinds of these kinds of issues, especially this. The film, again, is called The People versus Agent Orange. And we've been speaking with the co-directors of the film. That would be Alan Adelson and Kate Taverna. Thank you so very much for being here today on Film School Radio. Thank Thank you, you, Mike. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. 
You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 